When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, fail him to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I, testi I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And this is his precious word. Well, good to be with you. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, last Sunday we started a new series called Stewardship. It's all his. It's a very practical series that we're looking at, and I feel... Uh, rather overwhelmed at the task this morning to speak about money and possessions, which is a, a massive subject, something that you will actually very rarely hear us speak about in this church, but uh, the Bible has so much to say about money and possessions. So the first thing I want to do is just start by acknowledging um, some people and resources that have helped me put this talk together. Firstly, of course, the Bible... Um, I've got two pastoral colleagues, um, Mark Chappell and Nick Barber, who've been very helpful in sharing some resources that they have. There's a Bill Hybels book called Honest to God, Becoming an Authentic Christian that has a chapter on finances, which has actually been uh, influential for me for many years, um, as well as my dad, who taught me some good sort of budgeting skills as a young man, uh, and a Christian financial advisor that Bronnie and I saw when we were 23, and have put into practice some, uh, some principles in the way that we've sort of used and shaped our finances, and so... Uh, I just want to acknowledge those sources, as well as say right off the bat that I'm going to try and be authentic this morning with you and just share kind of our own journey, um, just so that you can at least get an idea as what it might look like from a practical sense. I can only speak from my own experience. Um, and, uh, you know, finances is one of those things that is, is often very personal and very private. But uh, the Bible has so much to say about it. And uh, I want to begin firstly by, well, we begin every week with our kind of core theme verse for the series, and that is that the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's Psalm 24, verse 1. 
And ultimately, as I sort of touched on last Sunday, that's the big idea of the whole series. And if we can actually just get that idea into our minds and into our hearts, that everything is God's, it's all His, and we've been entrusted as stewards with the the resources that He's given us, the question then becomes, how do we become faithful stewards with everything that God has given to us? And so today we're talking about money and possessions. Next Sunday we'll talk about time and energy. And then um, a fortnight after that we'll talk about gifts and abilities. Uh, Billy Graham is quoted as saying, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. So our finances are significant. The way that we approach them and manage them um, is is very significant. Um, As I mentioned, the Bible has so much to say about finances. Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject apart from the kingdom of God. He spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. Um, Out of 39 parables that Jesus taught, 11 had to do with finance And it's obvious that when it comes to money, people need wisdom. People need understanding and they need godly wisdom. And the scriptures are full of it. There are over 2,350 verses in the Bible that speak about money and how God's people should handle it. So this morning, my primary task is to let God's word speak and do the work. We'll only be scratching the surface um, with the passages that we will look at, but I hope that they give some sense of shape and direction and meaning as to how we can be faithful stewards with the resources that God has given to us. I want to start by reading Matthew 6, 19 to 21 and 24, where Jesus, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, says these words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think my first observation about this text is that Jesus is saying, invest in what is eternal. Because everything else is temporal. If you invest in the things of this world, as good as they may be, they're going to fade away and they won't last. So the first uh, takeaway from that passage for me is to invest in what is eternal. And ultimately, what is eternal? Our relationship with God and our relationship with people. It comes back to what Phil prayed about, loving God and loving people. These are the only two things, essentially, that are of eternal value and eternal consequence. Now, money and possessions can, in fact, be good resources to help with those things. And so there's an appropriateness to that. But primarily, uh, the things that we should invest in is our relationships relationship with God and relationship with people. I really like this quote by the minimalists, love people, use things. The opposite never works. And don't we live in a world that often loves things and uses people? Jesus is teaching the exact opposite. You're to love people. You're to put them first. 
in a sense, I think what Jesus is saying, you've got to learn to master your money or your money will master you. Powerful teaching, very, very practical teaching. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talking to everyday people like you and I about how we're to prioritise money and possessions in our lives. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and all kinds of evil and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, just sorry, just want to hit the pause button there. My preferred style of preaching, as you've probably learnt by now, is kind of just focusing in on a particular passage and, uh, and sort of preaching through books of the Bible in that manner. We're in, in the moment, what we're in is called a topical series. And, and what a preacher does when they're preaching a topical series is just takes lots of different verses from the Bible that speak into that particular topic. So that's what I'm doing this morning, and that's what I'll be doing over the next few weeks. I'm a little out of my comfort zone because I prefer to give you the context around what's being said and all that kind of stuff. But I'll trust that you're prepared to just go on the journey tomorrow because what today... What we're trying to do is just build a a big picture understanding of what the Bible has to say about money. Does that make sense? So some verses we're just going to kind of, we're going to read them quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time. But you're just, what you're doing is you're getting a sense of the heartbeat of the scriptures of God's heart for money and finances. So in terms of what Timothy has to say here, and Ecclesiastes says something similar, whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't that true? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It doesn't matter how many pay rises you've had in your life. Uh, It's always just that little bit extra that I need to to, to, to balance things out. Uh, It just seems that we can never quite have enough money. It's just the way that we are and it's kind of the world and the reality that we live in. Now, the scriptures are not actually negative at all about money per se or possessions per se. It's the love of money that is problematic. It's the love of money that becomes problematic. And uh, modern, what we might say, someone who loves money, we might say that they are materialistic. And to be materialistic means to be money-oriented. Like kind of money is my priority, earning more and and getting more is what life is about for me. And uh, to be a materialistic person is to be kind of excessively concerned with material possessions. Um... You know, I have to say that at times I feel as though I, sometimes I'm, I feel materialistic um, and I, I do have a concern for material possessions. Just being genuine and real, I, from a very young age, I've really liked owning nice things and, and looking after them. And uh, as a perfectionist, I can, if I don't, if I'm not careful with myself, I can spend a lot of time looking after things and becoming more concerned about possessions than people. And that for me is a thorn in my side. It's something I have to really keep myself in check with, and it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. It may not be your challenge, but it's my challenge. I just want to be authentic and honest to say materialism isn't something out there. Like materialism is something that, that can really creep in, and I have to really keep a check on it myself. 
Uh, and you might, some of you might relate to that. Now, when it comes to money, when it comes to money in our possessions, we could be very tempted to think, well, I earned it. You know, like, Joel, we're talking about stewardship here, and there are certain things that I can, I can understand that God created that, God made that, so that's his, that's fine. A tree over there, you know, I didn't make that, I had nothing to do with that. That's God's, he can have that tree. But when it comes to my bank balance, I earned that money, I worked for it, it's mine. It's a real danger to have that type of an attitude. And that's where the reading from Deuteronomy comes in this morning, is God through Moses was warning the Israelites to remember that it was he who brought you out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. It was I, God, who fed you manna in the wilderness. You didn't have to do anything for it. And it was me, God, who brought you into the promised land and have given you the capacity and the ability to earn. So even what you have earned is actually because of my goodness, says God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That warning is there very early on in the peace for the Israelite people to be reminded that it's not because of their good, their power or their strength. It's because of God's goodness in giving them the ability. Uh, one of the big kind of broad stroke themes around finance in the Bible is, is this. It is to honour the Lord. Honour the Lord with your wealth. And we could say that uh, the phrase money and possessions, uh, wealth might be, uh, you know, kind of a good um, descriptor of money and possessions. So honour the Lord with your wealth. And we do this with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You will not hear prosperity gospel teaching in this church or from this pulpit. But I will say that it is, it is undeniable that the Bible does attribute blessing with giving. If God's people are faithful in their giving, uh, we cannot deny the scriptures, and we'll look at some this morning, that speak about God's provision and God's blessing. Now, of course, we need to... We need to make sure that we keep blessing in check and our understanding of what blessing is. Uh, but as Matthew 6 says, Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So the sense that God will provide and meet your needs according to his riches in glory. So this whole idea of honour is that we actually allow the way that we handle our finances and our possessions, uh, the, the, the heart motivation, the key motivation is to honour God in the way that we use those for, as, as wise stewards and also to invest into God's kingdom. And there's some really practical ways that we can do that. Uh, we live in a culture that, that the, the way that they value money and possessions is is entirely different to the way that the kingdom, uh, the way God's kingdom values. But we, we live in a culture, don't we, where these are the sort of the cultural priorities. 
primarily people, the first and most important thing is to earn, and is to to earn with greed. I want to earn more. Like the more money I have, the more holidays I can go on, and the more I can sort of finance the lifestyle that 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 I'm seeking after. Now, we can't kind of escape this because this, this whole idea of having this comfortable, luxurious lifestyle is, is just everywhere, isn't it? it it's hard not to, not to be tempted to fall into that. And, uh, and so, therefore, the desire is to earn more so that we can spend more on, on ourselves, on our lifestyle. And, and many people um, will accumulate great amounts of debt to service and sustain that type of a lifestyle. Um, we live in a culture where we generally will give where there's an emotional need. So, like, for example, the drought is a, is a terrific example. There's an emotional pull, and Australians will be very generous when it comes to giving in those types of circumstances. But in terms of just regular, generous giving, because it's a good and right thing to do, we're actually a very poor country. It's not even speaking about Christians. Um, and generally, we will save whatever is left. <laughs> so that's a little bit of the cultural priorities that, uh, that, that we find ourselves in. The kingdom priorities are so different. Firstly, we earn with integrity and contentment. So how we actually earn our money is where this all starts. If we're going to honour God, then we have to earn our money in honourable ways. And we learn to be content with whatever God provides for us because we recognise that it's all his in the first place. Um, secondly, a kingdom priority is to give sacrificially. The scriptures speak much about giving generously to God's work. Um, sec- thirdly, um, a kingdom priority is to save wisely, and there are some biblical principles around this as well, to own as trustees and to spend simply. So these are kingdom priorities when it comes to finances according to God's word. Let's just take a look at each one. Firstly, we earn with integrity and contentment. Proverbs 16, 8 says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Uh, Our finances actually begins with how we earn the money that we have. And so as Christians, it's really important that we earn our money with integrity. And if you find yourself in a business or an environment that is not ethical or not um, doing things that are integrous, then as a believer, as a follower in Jesus, your role is to either actively try and transform that culture or that practice or get out and, uh, and make sure that you're earning your money with integrity because the scriptures say it's better to have a little and earn it with integrity than to have much gain with injustice. Another passage in Timothy that we saw earlier is, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment doesn't come from striving to gain more. True contentment comes from recognizing that everything is God's, that God will always meet my needs. And we actually truly pursue not wealth or not things of this world, but we pursue God. And uh, I, I love that verse. Godliness and contentment. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful way to live? To pursue God above all else and to learn to be content 
with whatever our lot in life might be. The scripture teaches that is great gain. That is the life to be envied, if you like, according to biblical wisdom. We're to give sacrificially. We're to give sacrificially. A couple of verses, a few verses here that speak to this principle. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 2 Corinthians 8.7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, the Apostle Paul says. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, I'm going to give you some numbers today, and I want you to hear that it, it's just in an attempt to try and be practical and to actually give you something tangible to take away that you might be able to start applying to your life. The, as many of you would be no surprise that, um, that in the Bible there's this thing called a tithe, and the tithe is, is 10% of your earnings. Now, um, we, we tend to kind of assimilate tithing with the law, when in fact the very first tithe recorded in the Scripture is found in Genesis 14, where Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. This is before the Mosaic law comes in. So it would seem that the tithe is a, a biblical principle um, that has its origins all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. And I'll show you in just a moment, but Jesus also affirms the tithe. So the tithe is a really helpful place for us to start. Tithe is 10%. Um, and here's where Jesus affirms the tithe in Matthew 23, 23. Speaking to the Pharisees um, and the teachers of the Lord, says, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the Lord, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he doesn't, he doesn't downplay the tithe. He actually enables it to continue. Now, we know from some of those passages that we read in Corinthians that generosity is kind of the New Testament priority when it comes to giving. But do you know that as Christians, if we could learn to tithe, we would be super generous now, I don't know where this figure came from, but I read this week that two out of 100 Christians tithe. Um, and what I mean by that is two out of 10, oh, sorry, two out of 100, two out of 100 tithe 10%. So we are now living in a culture where to, to give 10% would in fact be hugely generous. Hugely generous. So... If you give 10% and the New Testament ethic is to actually give generously, then the challenge is perhaps to get to a point where you can give more than that. And I would encourage that. I've crunched the numbers for Bronnie and I this week. We are currently tithing 9%. So we have some work to do. 
And of that nine, um, about 7% comes into the church. And we have some sponsored children and we're IJM Freedom Partners. Um, so I'm not going to get into the mechanics of kind of how and where we tithe. Um, the Old Testament principle is to bring 10% into the storehouse or to the Levites. And the Levites were like the temple workers, and the Levites would give to the priests. It would help sustain all of the workers in the temple. It would fund all of God's work, and it would also help Israel care for the poor. So that's sort of the principle of tithing, if you like. Um, and, and each person in their own heart will decide where their tithe goes, but there's a very good argument to say that a significant portion of that does go to your spiritual home so that that spiritual home can indeed do the work of God. Does that make sense? Um, and I wanted to say this morning to you, your tithe... I was looking at the church budget and kind of going, what are the big things that we can kind of hang off? Like, what does our tithe actually go towards? Well, your tithe supports three things, and conveniently, they all start with M. <laughs> your tithe supports ministry, uh, it supports mission, and it supports maintenance. Now, we all have homes that we service and we look after, and we pay rates and utilities and insurance and all those sorts of things. Well, of course, we have a facility, a beautiful facility here that we need to upkeep and, and, and there's plenty of maintenance work to do. I know that's not a very exciting thing. None of us are very excited about paying a rates bill at home, but we do it, don't we? Because we appreciate living in a home. And if we appreciate meeting in this building, then in a sense we gladly give towards the upkeep and maintenance of this building. We as a church have the privilege of being able to give to those cross-cultural workers who are serving overseas and taking the gospel. We have the opportunity as a church to contribute to the world of Baptist World Aid, the work of Baptist World Aid and the good work they're doing with the, the fashion guide and so forth. Um, from a ministry perspective, we're able to support the purchasing of resources for scripture teachers. We're able to supply resources for children's and youth ministry. You're able to pay staff who um, are able to do all kinds of discipleship works and pastoral care and, and preaching of God's word. And so tithing actually to the local church is really important, really valuable. And can I say thank you to those of you who faithfully give to the work of God here at this church. Um, we are, I think, a very generous people. And there have been so many occasions where the generosity of this church um, comes to the fore. And as we spoke earlier, Graham Wilkins was just a brilliant example of that. Um, the grand piano, for example, the chairs you're sitting on are uh, contributions that Graham made through the generosity of, of the goodness of his heart and his understanding of all that God had given him. Um, so I just want to encourage you in that. And I woke up at 2.30 this morning with this weird thought. So we as a church, and I, I'm, just, I'm just putting this out there because I think it's just helpful for us to just to hear and just to be aware of. And, and what I'm asking you to do is just to seek God and to pray about where your contribution um, and, and what God is putting on your heart. The, the first thing to note that I wanted to mention is that the tithe is not just any 10%. As that verse in Proverbs said, it is the first. And that's very significant because it means that we're not giving God the leftovers. We're actually saying, 
God, you've given 100% to me. You go for it, guys. You've given 100% to me, and uh, you've asked me to give 10% back to you. And by doing that, you are saying, you're actually saying God's first, and God's going to receive the very first of my earnings. Um, Electronic giving, for example, is a really good way to do that. These days, most people receive their money electronically. Uh, And so then it just, you know, 10%, boom, can can be distributed to these different things. Personally, we found that to be really, really helpful because it just means that that that, that priority is is taking place uh, every week or every fortnight or every month. So the way that... So the other thing that I'm mindful of is that you may not be aware about how this church actually gets all its funding. Um, This church and Baptist churches don't receive any contributions from the Baptist Association. In fact, we make an annual contribution to be part of the association and to um, contribute to the work that they do. All of the money, we have two primary sources of income as a church. We have one stream of income, which is the rent from the long daycare centre. And when this, when this facility was built, that's one of the ways that the church was actually able to, to maintain the, the loan or the mortgage on this building was by renting some of the space that we have out. Does that make sense? It's just if you bought a home and you have a, a, you know, a unit that you can rent on it and that enables you to afford the bigger place. That's the situation we have here. So one major income stream that we have is from preschool and long daycare centre and that more or less looks after the mortgage on our house. The other second stream of income is from you, is from your tithes and offerings, and and that's where all of the the money comes in. Now, your collective tithes and offerings, we budget $220,000. Now, for some weird reason, I woke up at 2.30 this morning thinking, I wonder what that actually equates to per person. We have an average of about 150 adults in this church. It comes down to $30 per adult per week. That's what we budget for. That's $1,500 a month, uh, roughly, um, which means that the assumption is that that every person in this congregation is earning $15,000 a year. So just... (laughs) Now, I appreciate that some people are on pensions and and, and everything like this. And the the, the beautiful thing about 10% is that it doesn't matter how much you earn. It's a level playing field. If you make $100 a year, you just give 10 you know, it, 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 but if you make $100,000 a year, well, it's $10,000. And, and ultimately, we're only responsible before God. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking at Sari here. Sorry to, sorry to point you out, Sari. But I also want to say, um, if you're in a like, relationship with a non-believing spouse, that has to be considered as well. And in fact, I want to say to Sarah and to any person who's in this situation, you honour that person. Um, and if it's going to cause tension in your marriage for you to be giving financially to the church, we just trust. Just you, you honour them and the marriage, and that's fine. So I just—it's tricky for different people. I really appreciate that. And I'm not saying any of this to try and fundraise. I'm really not. Just want to be authentic about where things are at, and I hope that's helpful. Um, but I think, well, I guess what I, what I did want to say is there's, there is absolutely capacity in this church for us to raise our giving um, to support God's work, however that looks. 
saving wisely. Again, this is not necessarily what you're going to see in the articles in your letterbox because <laughs> it's all about spending. But in God's economy, saving is highly valued. Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive, but fools gulp theirs down. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And a great story about saving is, again, in Genesis, the story of Joseph, uh, the dream that Pharaoh has about the famine. And Joseph, through God's wisdom, says we're going to save for seven years to sustain the seven-year famine. And that ends up saving Egypt and many other nations, including Israel. So again, I suppose it's a, it's a sense of the biblical wisdom in saving. Saving relieves anxiety. When difficult things happen, it empowers our calling. If God calls us to give to certain things or to go certain places to do his work, um, it prepares for the storms of life and it enables generosity. Well, the question is, how much should I save? And advice that we have been given many years ago, and I think a good rule of thumb, the advice that Bill Hybels in his book suggests, is again to aim for 10%. So I'm tithing 10% and I'm giving 10%. Now I did want to say as a precursor here, if you have debt apart from your home loan, um, that you should try and pay that off as quickly as you can because you're paying interest on it. So the priority then becomes to get out of debt in order to save. Does that make sense? So once you've paid those debts off, you're then in a good position to be able to save and you're wisely putting money aside for all of those things that we just mentioned there. We own as trustees, and this is the whole kind of idea, the big idea of stewardship is that we are trustees of all that God has given to us. It's the parable from last Sunday. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Our trustees are those who have been appointed to administer the affairs of another. And trustees have responsibilities, not rights. So the way that we own matters. And I guess in, um, in this lifetime, the two things, or the, particularly the first thing that we're going to own and spend the most amount of money on, and whether it's paying mortgage or paying rent, and all of the associated bills and utilities and insurances and so forth, is, is your home. That's probably going to be the single most significant item that most of us will spend our money on. Another one is a car. So a question is, how much should we try and aim to spend on our housing and our transportation and all of the associated costs therewith. And uh, I, we received this advice more than 15 years ago and, and that's been a helpful kind of, uh, you know, piece of information for our budgeting purposes. But I did this week explore a number of different financial... I'm not a financial advisor, but I was looking to see if this is consistent, and it is, that for those two items, around 40% of your total earnings is kind of the number that you would aim for. So that's mortgage repay, all of the associated costs with owning a home and maintaining that home, and the, the costs associated with owning and maintaining and running a vehicle. So if you can try and stay within that framework, you're doing well. And then that leads us to spending 
simply. And Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. It's good for us to enjoy the good things that God has given us. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. We should be able to do that and, and recognize that God is good and he has blessed us. Hebrews 13 says to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you're giving 10% to God and his work, if you're saving 10% for yourself, if you're keeping your housing and your automobile costs to around that 40% mark, then you actually know what you can live on. And you're around that 40%. And I, look, this, these principles have served Bronnie and I well. We started this when we were 23. Bron was a full-time student and I was earning about $35,000 a year. Not a lot. And we started with this. And we've kind of, it, has, it has given us a framework And it will continue to just give us a bit of a framework. So I guess I want to say to you today, I just wanted to share what we've done and what's been helpful for us. Not in any way to kind of promote what we've done, but just to say it's really helped us and it's really worked for us. And it might give you something to aim for. Whatever your financial situation might be, I don't want you from this morning to feel guilty That's the last motivation that's actually going to help you. Um, I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel empowered to make changes if you can, if if, if necessary, and just to start with something small. So if you're not tithing at all, then just start with 1% or 2%. Maybe just set yourself a goal just to gradually increase it. It's the same with savings. Just start with a very small amount and just... Keep working. Like wherever you are on your financial journey as God's steward, you can just start today. You know, let's, let's not worry about what's happened. We might have to deal with that. And there are some resources, there's lots of good resources around to help you. And I don't know where you're at in your finances, but if you feel like this is an area that's really out of control and you really need some help with, then I would love to point you in some helpful directions to get some practical help. Um, But I trust that this morning, I know it's been long, but it's a big topic and it's an important topic and we rarely talk about it in this church. So I hope that this morning's been helpful as we consider the kingdom priorities of earning with integrity and contentment, of giving sacrificially, of saving wisely, of owning as trustees and spending simply within our means. Brothers and sisters, I love you, and that is my offering to you on stewarding our money and resources, our possessions. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a generous God. Thank you that it is your heart and your desire for us not to live in financial bondage and slavery, but to live in a place of freedom and contentment and generosity. And I I pray, God, that that would be the heart um, of this morning's message, that we would catch something of your heart for how we might manage this important area of our lives 
and that by your spirit you would help us to take meaningful steps towards becoming faithful stewards. Lord, I want to thank you for each person here and their willingness and openness to just sit this morning for what has been an extended period of time to listen to your word. And I pray that we might faithfully, each person, engage with the conviction of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.